0: They asked me if I was a Cantrell or a Cantrell. I said, "If you've got money, you're a Cantrell, but I'm a Cantrell." And I, my grandfather and Peanut Cantrell were first cousins. And uh, my granddaddy used to tell me a lot of tales about Mac and some of the stuff they did. He passed on, been passed on since uh, the early 80s. Uh, but I used to enjoy going and listening to him and talking to him a great deal about his experiences. My grandmother was reared on Chestnut Ridge around Cheverville, And I don't know exactly how they got together, but they did. And then the offspring that they've had, me being one of them, I don't know if I knew what to think about all of it or not, but there is some connection somewhere down the line, somewhere or another. People asked me if I knew Eddie Cantrell, Rod Cantrell, Frank Cantrell, and there was also a, another Bill Cantrell along with that group, and I knew them and knew them quite well. I appreciate your invitation to me to come and to be with you. I remember the first time I visited this congregation, uh, if I'm not mistaken, B.J. Jones was preaching here about that time. We were coming in from somewhere, a meeting or something, I can't remember for sure, and the first time that my wife met Peanut was at the back. And she walked up to him, and he said, uh, "It's good to meet you. My name is Peanut Cantrell." And he shook hands with her and left the peanut in her hand. <laughs> and she never has forgotten that. And she she's with, with me tonight. We've been married 47 years, have three children, and four grandchildren. Tony's been down to speak to us quite a bit, and we appreciate him a great deal. And the work that his Father-in-law did at East Huntsville, Benny Bristow, and we appreciate uh, the work he did, and we appreciate you sharing Tony with us and inviting me to come up and be with you. Tony asked me to deal and to speak with doing good deeds. I'm going to do my dead-level best to do that, and I'm going to try to honor my Lord in doing it. I have one reason that's to preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, to rebu- reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And I'll do that according to 2 Timothy 4 to the best of my ability. It was the year 1722. It was in New England. There was a middle-aged woman that had began to write for a paper there, and she would write in regard to social events of the New England elite. Her name was Silence Do Good. That was her name. And in writing for that newspaper, she wrote humorous things about New England and New England's elite. Well, after a while, she began to be very popular in her articles. And she became so popular that most of the people were reading her articles. And then they began to investigate who in the world Silence Do-Good really was. They finally discovered that it wasn't a middle-aged woman at all. But it was a 16-year-old Benjamin Franklin that was writing those humorous articles. Well, here is the bottom line about this. Perhaps we ought to practice more silence and do more good. When the topic was given to me about Titus 3 and verse 8 and Titus 3 verse 14, I began to wonder, how do I need to deal with this? And you think about that passage when he said, this is a faithful saying, and I would that thou affirm constantly that they that believe in God be careful to maintain good works for this is good and profitable unto men. And then as he goes down in verse 14 and he emphasizes, let ours learn to maintain good works for useful things that they may not be Unfruitful. I don't know about you, but around Huntsville, there's not near as many people doing good as we would like to be. When you think about the idea of doing good, I want to approach it from four standpoints. I want to approach it from the standpoint of the determination or the demand, rather, by the demonstration, also by the desire, and by the desire I mean the motivation behind it, and then the deeds. When I mention the idea of the demand, I mean the Bible's requirement for his people to do good deeds. By the demonstration, I simply mean an example of those who have done it. The other is the desire, which means what is your motivation when you do it? Then the other thing is the deeds that need to be done. When you think about the demand, Titus 3.8 does come to mind, Titus 3.14, but hold us Titus 2 verse 7. Titus 2.7 says, Showing thyself a pattern of good works, and in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself forth, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify to himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Titus 3, verse 1, he says, put them in mind to obey magistrates and to be ready unto every good work. Ephesians 2, and verse 10, after he's discussed, it's by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained, that we should walk in them. You've also got, for example, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 18, where he talks about do good, maintain, or be rich in good works. And he says, be willing, ready to distribute, and willing to communicate. You've also got in Galatians 6.10, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them who are the household of faith. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8 admonishes us to abound in good works. Colossians 1 and verse 10, we're to be fruitful in good works. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. It sounds to me like the Lord demands that his people be active in doing good deeds. And he never specified doing good deeds to an elite group. He never specified doing good deeds solely only to members of the church. He didn't emphasize doing good deeds only to the rich or only to the poor. He said, you maintain good works. And he said, when you have opportunity, you do good to all men, and especially them who are of the household of faith. The demand is clear. But what about the demonstration? Well, there are many biblical examples. Let me give you a couple. What about Acts chapter 9, verses 36 to 43, a woman by the name of Dorcas, or Tabitha? And if you remember, she was one that had passed away. People had gathered to mourn her passing. Not just had that she, had they gathered to mourn her passing, but they were talking about the things that she had made for people. Because she was full of good works and alms deeds. Dorcas is an example. What about the Good Samaritan in Luke 10? When you read about, from about verse 25 through about verse 36 or 37. Where a fellow was on his way to Jerusalem and he fell among thieves and they beat him. here's something interesting to me. They left him for half dead, but when the religious among the Jews, the religious elite saw him, you know what they did? Nothing but pass by on the other side. It was an old Samaritan that tended to him. They were despised of the Jew. They were considered almost as the offscouring. I'm told that a Jew would cross the street before he would brush shoulders with a Samaritan. But that old Samaritan took care of him carried him to an inn and told the innkeeper to continue to take care of him and if he owed him anything, he'd take care of it. That's a good deed, wasn't it? What about Cornelius? He was an old Gentile. There'd been some proselytes converted in Acts chapter 2 because they are mentioned where those people gathered in Jerusalem. Along with the Parthenians, Edomites, dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Asia, Pontus, Pergamum, Pamphylia in Egypt, parts of Libya about Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. They were all present. But Cornelius was an uncircumcised Gentile that had a good reputation among the Jews. He was a devout man, one that feared God with all of his house and gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Notice, gave much alms to the people. That's good deeds. I've often wondered if we were to stand beside Dorcas and we were to stand beside the Good Samaritan or we were to stand beside Cornelius in regard to good deeds, how would we measure up? I know that not all members of the church are given to good deeds because in Matthew 25, when you look at about verse 41 and following, when he said to them on the left hand, he's talking about those who are members of the church. He said, I was hungry. You gave me no meat. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You didn't take me in. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was sick and you didn't visit me in prison. You didn't come unto me. He, They wanted to know, when did we see you in this condition and did not minister to you? He said, in as much as you did it not unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it not to me. How would we Measure up. Let me give you another example. The Macedonian Christians in 2 Corinthians 8, 1-6. Those brethren were individuals who were poverty stricken. They weren't well off. The Jerusalem saints were suffering because of famine. They needed help the Macedonian saints encouraged Paul to take from them when they had given out of deep poverty to help those saints in Jerusalem. Sometimes people won't help out of abundance, much less poverty. But they first gave themselves, Paul said, and then unto us by the will of God. When a person gives himself, the giving of what he has is not a problem. But a person can give out of abundance and never give himself. But those Macedonians serve as an example. What about Barnabas? In Acts chapter 4, who gave, sold some of the things he had, some of the land he had, and gave it to be distributed to the saints in Jerusalem. You know, the greatest example of all is Jesus Christ. Acts 10.38 makes reference to this. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all the oppressed of the devil. I'll tell you one thing interesting to me about Jesus Christ. His life was given to doing good. That's all he knew to do was good. When he became incarnate, he did it for our good. When he lived his life, he did it for our good. He did good for men from everything, as far as the miraculous nature, from feeding the 5,000 to raising the dead. He was a man full of compassion for the human race. And that compassion burned within him to the point he couldn't help but doing good for someone. That was his nature. it's the way he was. When you think about reading John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is God doing good through His Son in our behalf. And it wasn't something we did to deserve it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. It's because of who He was, because of His nature. It's because He is a God of goodness. That it's just natural for him to do good. I love the statement made in John one seventeen that every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above, comes down with the Father of lights, with whom is overbunded but stay the shadow of turning. Everything God does for us is for our good. So we have the demand, we have the demonstration. Here's something somewhat concerning. I'm going to stand in the judgment of God with that Samaritan, Dorcas, Cornelius, Barnabas, and Jesus is going to be the judge. And God places upon me the same demand, same requirement as He did on the first century saints to maintain good works or good deeds. What about the motivation? Why do we do what we do? Do you visit the hospitals? I do. But I don't do it because I'm the preacher at East Thompson. Do you do funerals more than I like to remember? But I don't do it because I'm the preacher at East Thompson. Because you see, if I don't have the right motivation behind what I do, there's no benefit in it. I can bestow my goods to feed the poor, and I can give my body to be burned, but if I have not charity, it profits me nothing. 1 Corinthians 13. What if I ask you, what is your motivation for what you do as far as good deeds for someone? Maybe we ought to ask two or three questions. Number one, what is your motivation? Number two, do you show any partiality? And number three, how consistent are we? Let me mention some reasons of motivation or some motivations. Number one is my love for God should be a motivating factor behind the good deeds I do. Why would you say that? I say that because of John fourteen fifteen. if you love me, keep my commandments. 23 and four says if a man love me he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings and the words which you hear are not mine but the father which you sent me Lord how do people how will people know that I really love you by what you do that's how by what you do. You remember in John fourteen, thirty-one, Jesus made a statement. He said that the world may know that I love the Father, whatsoever the Father commands me, I do. So one of the motivations that I have in whatever I do and Every, every one of us ought to possess the same motivation is I genuinely love God who has saved me, redeemed me, sacrificed his son for me, and has reconciled me. I love God. And that ought to be a motivation that moves us to do whatever. He has asked us to do. We shouldn't have to be prodded. We shouldn't have to be coerced. It ought to be a natural outgrowth of who we are. I will do good. Second motivation. Let your light shine you either display darkness or light when a person is around you he's either around darkness or he's around light light indicates doing and being good darkness indicates being are doing evil. In Matthew 5, 16, he said, Let your light so shine before men that they can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, does that mean you do your works to be seen of men? No. No. But when you do what God wants you to do, it can't help but be observed. But that's not your motivation. Your motivation is to glorify God. And that's what they do when they see your good works. Now let me offer you a third motivation. Glorify God. Lift Him up. Display Him to the world. I want to suggest something, if I may. Galatians 3:26 and 7 says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, verse 27. The word put on has been rendered by some to be clothed with or to be covered with. What's interesting, you got up this morning. You took a bath, you cleaned up, you put on your clothes. What I see, I see you. But literally, I see your clothes. The only thing, the only part of you that is revealed to me is your face, your hands, and that's about it. What I see is your clothes. Now, when you are baptized into Christ and you put Him on, what people ought to see is not you, but Him. They ought to see Him, not you. In 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, What know you not? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. You are not your own. Notice what He said, you are bought with a price. Therefore do what? Glorify God. In what? Your body and spirit, which are God's. Now, question. How do you glorify God in your body? By what you do. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do to the glory of God. That's one of the motivations. Give you a fourth motivation. To demonstrate your faith. Are we not people who walk by faith and not by sight? How do people really know that we're a believer? Remember in James 2 verse 14 he says, what does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister come unto you naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things needful for the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. A motivation for doing good deeds is to show people we truly believe in God. We're true believers. Let me suggest another reason besides that. And that is to practice pure religion. Somebody says, I can practice pure religion and not do anything. I Beg to differ with you about that. You see, pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the widows the orphans their affliction, keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now the word visit doesn't mean to make a, sac, a casual house call. It means to seek out, to look out what the needs are and to meet those needs. That's doing good deeds. So that's some of the motivation that comes into play in regard to being a child of God. Now, because of time, I want to move into the idea of some of the deeds that we need to be busy doing. And there's a lot of them. I want to suggest this to you. There may be some things that I won't mention here that's included. Have you ever thought about when someone passes or someone's sick and the ladies? or whoever, maybe even the men, they get together and they cook a fine meal and they take it upon themselves to provide those meals for those people. Have you ever thought about how important that is? And maybe someone has lost a loved one and they feel all alone and they're lonesome and empty and hurting. And members of the church just goes to their go. They go to their home and they don't say much. They just sit there to support. Have you ever thought about how important that is? Have you ever thought about how important it is when somebody comes through the back door and we encourage them and say, "Boy, it's good to see you today. I really appreciate what you do for the Lord." Preachers need encouraging. Elders need it, deacons need it, and members need it. But I want to suggest to you that one of the things we can do as far as a good deed is help bear one another's burdens. If you remember Galatians 6, verse 2, he said, Bear one another's burdens. Right down, on down, he said, Bear your own burdens. There's a little distinction in the word burdens. The latter one refers to responsibilities, obligations. The former refers to things you're having to deal with that someone can help you with. There's one thing that I'd give anything in the world if we could really come to grips with. That I'm not the only important person in the world. And you're not the only important person in this world. Did you know that if I cared about you, and if every member in this church cared about you, you'd never go uncared for. And if every single member cared about every other member, there would never be a single member that goes uncared for. But we become so wrapped up in our own problems, in our own lives, in our own dealings that we can't see anyone else's problems that they need help with. There's times that people need help with family problems, there's times people need someone to help bear the burden of a sickness. It may be that there is the burdens of grief. Outright loneliness. It may be a burden of divorce. It may be a large number of things that people are trying to deal with. That we just don't understand or know about. That needs someone to care and ask, what can I do to help you? I suggest another thing is we have the responsibility to love other people. I did a meeting at a congregation. In fact, I've, I've, I've held them off and on for the last 20 years. There were two brothers in that congregation, both members of the church. And they told me they hadn't even spoken to each other in over ten years. And I'm sitting here thinking, now what in this world could have brought that about? Two brothers, blood kin, wouldn't even speak to one another. You think that would happen if they'd have really loved each other like they should There are folks in the church that'll have odds with one another and not speak with one another. They don't like one another, don't be around each other. And sometimes they'll say, well, I hate so-and-so. John thirteen thirty four and 5 said, A new commandment I give unto you to love one another as I have loved you. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. Now somebody said, well, love is somewhat of an abstract thing. Really, you see, charity, love, suffers long. That's an action, and is kind. It envies not. It vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own. It's not easily provoked. Thinks no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Believeth all things. Beareth all things. opeth all things. Endureth all things. Love is action. It's more than words. It's actions. It's doing good deeds in action. And so that's what love is. Another good deed that you might talk about, in fact, did you know that love is doing good even to your enemy, Matthew 5.44? You ever tried to do that? You ever tried to love in action your enemy and pray for them to despitefully use you and persecute you? It's not an easy task. It's what God calls upon us to do. I suggest another good deed that you may do is comfort each other. Where do you get that? 1 Corinthians four. That he's comforted us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them who are in trouble with the same comfort that we ourselves are comforted of God. Comfort one another. There's times we need some comfort. It may be because of mental anguish. It may be because of physical loss. It may be for a number of reasons. We just need someone to comfort. Well, let me mention this. What about benevolence? Being benevolent to people. I understand that there are people out there that are freeloaders and don't deserve help. I realize that. But it sure does make it hard when you have to deal with those people when you're trying to deal with someone who really does need it. But sometimes that benevolence has to be sacrificial. Think about Acts two forty four and 5. That they were all together, had all things common. They sold their possessions, goods and part of them to all men as every man had need. I believe that I had rather stand before God having been taken advantage of by trying to do good to someone than to stand before God having refused to even try. And beloved, helping people is not limited to the treasury of the church. It doesn't hurt to take money out of the treasury and help someone do good. Sometimes it can be a personal responsibility where we can do something, we have the opportunity to do something, and we need to do something. What about reaching out to the lost? I don't know of anything in the world that needs to be done more than reaching out to the lost and the erring. We're told to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, do you think that's doing good? Our Lord tasted death for every man. That was doing good. We're to preach the gospel to every creature. That's doing good. So he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's doing good. What is the work of the church? Evangelism. Benevolence and edification, isn't it? And even benevolence and edification is geared toward evangelism. When it comes to someone, even a brother, who errs from the truth, let him know that he which converts a sinner from the air of his way, saved a soul from death, covered a multitude of sin. That's doing good. And somebody may say, well, you know, I try to talk to them, but they won't listen, they won't do anything. But you still did good. If you just talk to them, that's doing good deeds. and it shows that you're concerned for them, and your' interest in them. Encourage each other, just like in Hebrews 10:24, Consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works here's one that's sometimes difficult but worthwhile forgive one another isn't that a good deed forgive one another Ephesians 4.32 be ye kind one to another tenderhearted, forgiving one another even God for Christ's sake has forgiven you if any man have a quarrel against any as Christ forgave you so also do ye. Colossians 3.13 forgiving each other that's a good deed You could talk about providing food for people. You could talk about washing people's, giving people baths in their home. You can talk about sitting with them at the hospital. You can talk about attending funerals. You can talk about things on top of things that are good deeds to be done. But none of them are any more important than the things we've mentioned. You see, the bottom line is this. Doing good deeds is walking in the light of 1 John 1 verse 7. Walking according to his commandments, 2 John 4 and 6. It's following his example of 1 Peter 2 and 21. It's being like our Heavenly Father of Matthew 5 48. That's doing good deeds. Let me probe your minds. Can we be partakers, Second Peter 1 4, of the divine nature, absent of good deeds? Can we be like our Heavenly Father, absent of good deeds? Can we genuinely have Christ formed in us, absent of good deeds? And here's one passage to remember. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now is it the will of the Father that his people maintain good works? It's a serious thing when you discuss something entitled Doing Good Deeds. There's the demand, there's been the demonstration, there is the desire and the motivation, and there are the deeds to be done. Each one, important. There may be those in this audience that are not Christians. And you may be thinking, well, Bill, I'd like to become a Christian, but I don't want to have to go to work then you really don't want to become a Christian. Because you see, to become a Christian, that demand comes with it. When the Lord hired laborers into his vineyard in Matthew 20, he hired laborers, not retirees. There is no retirement program in the church of God. There's only work to be done, a life to be spent, and eternity to be gained but no retirement plan. And if you want to really become a child of God, put your hand to the plow, but don't look back. But you're going to have to believe in Jesus Christ. I mean trust Him. Rely upon Him and what He's done for you at the cross. And you're going to have to repent of your sin, change your mind, change the way you think about yourself, about sin, about life. And turn to God and serve him. Serve Him. Confess His sweet name, Romans ten, nine and ten, and be baptized for the remission of your sin, at which time you will put Him on, and when people see you, they're going to see Him. And those of us that are not that are children of God need to remember something. We made a promise to God when we became Christians that I am His to do with as He sees fit. And I will do everything in my power to glorify his name, to honor him in every respect. And when you make an oath to God, you better keep it. But that's a promise you made. And involved in it, as you guessed it, doing good deeds. If you were to stand before God tonight, What would he say? Would he say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or would he say, depart from me, cursed, and everlasting fire? Which would he say? Based on your life and your deeds. Because every man is going to be judged according to his works. Revelation 20 verse 14. If there's any need, please come as we stand.